This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. <laughs> oh my goodness, we are hot off the toilet. And I say that not necessarily as a metaphor, but literally um, I just pooped in my Viome poop bag. And I am excited to send that poop off <laughs> in the mail priority, which I think might be uh, just, by priority, I mean when the mail is going again. I think that might be Monday or Tuesday. There might be a holiday Monday, which day isn't a holy day. Don't let Hallmark fool any of y'all. Every day is a holy day. The time is always now. And that being said, if anyone else in their life is craving and up-leveling in their self-analysis, definitely check out the podcast, the previous one with Naveen Jain about the power of poop. And I go deep into what I'm actually alluding to when I said I pooped in the test kit. But I'm basically sending off that sample of my um, of what's in my microbiome to get, from what I understand, one of the most cutting edge analysis of the gut which could be one of the best ways to control our health and uh, I just alone to this part of filling out the health questionnaire and going through the process of pooping in the bag and procuring the sample it really has been pretty profound so far so there is a i think there's a profound power of poop because it's one of those things that a lot of people hide like farting i believe there's a way to fart for freedom and fart from our heart just like there is a profound power of poop and what i'm getting at is that what's most personal is most universal and if we are all um God or a iteration, an iteration of God playing hide and seek with ourselves. Maybe there's some sort of reason that the keys to our evolution are are what we all share, but we might be more prone to not disclose, and that might make it why it's fun to hide and seek. And can you imagine if the key to making dis-ease optional is in what we is in what we looking deep into what we do every day, which is our poop. And Viome is a company <laughs> that has made it possible to do that. And Naveen Jain, the founder of it, is amazing. And I interviewed him, and we now have a unique vanity URL, Viome.com/slash/breakingnormal, so you can get the best deal that they currently have offered to the public, from my understanding. And join me on this journey. And why this is so relevant is because of the guest today on this podcast, Mike Salemi. We go deep into what it might take to upgrade one's gut regardless of any analysis. So I just think it's like a fun way to join the two. That If you want to do it without an analysis, here you go. Listen to this podcast and take notes. If you want to do it with an analysis, with maybe what's the most cutting edge technology currently on the market to actually get like data on the changes that you're doing, then potentially join me on this journey of analyzing our poop to find out what's really going on, to find out, to make sure we're not full of shit. <laughs> oh man, I said it, I said it. Right there at 333. <laughs> I love it. Omens are everywhere, guys. What's not spiritual? So join me on this spiritual journey of 
uh, finding out that what's most personal is most universal and that we may look a little different to tell each other apart and to get to the heart of the matter, the gut of the matter, the mind of the matter, and not to think one is better than the other, but to uh, be with what is and and upgrade with what is because I think that's our true power of being a human is the ability to create all right so let's create a breaking normal culture that only gets better forever job bless enjoy this journey check out the vanity url you can get all these all this information at breakingnormal.com slash podcast and i'll even put a sample of the naveen jane podcast at the end of this one with mike to make sure to remind y'all to go check that out and if you want to join the journey and get um kind of dual helix um like the wisdom of this podcast with Naveen's and do a gut check and an analysis then send me a message on Instagram and maybe I'll even create a Facebook group for all of us that are doing this journey um even though we might be in different times and spaces that doesn't mean we're not that that doesn't mean we're separate boom love y'all peace in here we go guys I think this might be episode number 40 or so, so congratulations to everyone. I'm curious if anyone's listened to every episode and how perspective shifting that must be because producing them has definitely been that way for me. And I um, just got off the phone right before my friend here who's sitting next to me, Mike Salemi. And I'm excited for y'all to know how we know each other and what we learned about each other with our pre-workout podcast and what we're about to learn about each other because I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be like big waves like big smooth waves if I was a swell forecaster <laughs> in this moment and um I'm excited I'm excited I was going somewhere do you remember where I was going you're uh, you're le- you're setting it up setting, setting it, up. it up setting up the waves setting up the stage here for something special something special is about to happen um Mike how do you think we first got connected like, do you remember what happened? You know, I do actually remember the very, very first time that we connected. I was, uh, I was working one-on-one with Paul, and you. I think it was you and your brothers. No, it was actually you and Diana had gone up to the Heaven House in Escondido. And I remember, like, as I was rolling out, you guys were rolling in. And I remember, I don't even know I remember all this, but I remember Diana being super excited to meet Paul. And I just remember overhearing that, and then uh, you were doing an interview or something with him. So it's pretty much entering and exiting. And then I remember just running into you at random times. Uh, every time I would almost go down to Paul at like a grocery store or whatever when Whole Foods was in Encinitas. And this is so fascinating for so many reasons because you, he's meaning Paul Check, who's definitely a mutual uh, acquaintance, friend, ally. I'm not even certain what each one of our relationships with Paul is, but I'm imagining it's quite mystical as well. Um, and that is so fascinating because that day was a game changer. That and 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 probably not how anyone thinks. Um, and what's really weird is Paul Check might even be in town right now, or he's about to be, because we're all here for the Paleo FX conference. And there is something weird. There's like some sort of. <sighs> all right. So when the body, if a body gets scratched, don't a certain type of blood cells show up all of a sudden, all at that location? So I'm just wondering, sometimes I see people at similar happenings, and but much different times. Like The context is not necessarily time and space as much as it is something else. So I'm, uh, and that's actually, that meeting with Paul is what got me and JP to become really close because we both, oh. 
could resonate about something that was really mysterious to us and that we didn't understand. So now I'm really building up a big anticipatory interview with Paul Check. maybe this weekend. Maybe I'll see him and see if we can manifest this. Um, what's your relationship with Paul Check? Like, why do, yeah, what is your relationship with Paul Check? Um, man, I'd been studying his work since I was about 18, so about 14 years. So I'd been a student and studying early on mainly to help and support my own athletic achievements. Uh, at that time, when I was 18, I was competitive in powerlifting, and I'd been gifted how to eat, move, and be healthy. And uh, the gym that I was a strength coach at, essentially the entire gym was modeled after his teachings. So very, very holistic, all Czech practitioners, high-level people, very, very into holistic health and overall mental, emotional well-being. And so that's kind of where I first got introduced to his work was at that gym and working with the owner of the gym. But essentially through kind of like my athletic career and and especially kettlebell sports specifically, long story short, I had an orthopedic injury in my left arm that no one could figure out. So I spent over two and a half years trying to essentially achieve like, it would be like the black belt level in kettlebell sport. And every competition I'd get really close was in four or five repetitions, but I would pretty much miss my number because I'd lose all feeling and sensation in this arm and it would swell with blood. And essentially the docs or people I talked to and over two and a half years, almost saw like 10 different practitioners. They wanted to, essentially, they wanted to slice my arm open and cut the casing uh, around the muscle. They wanted to cut the fascial compartment open to release the swelling and release the blood. But nobody could actually explain what in the F was going on. So every practitioner, whether it was specific chiros, upper cervical, PTs, you name it, um, I learned a lot about myself, went through some pretty heavy emotional roller coasters when you're training and trying to achieve a high level, but falling short. And at HLC2, uh, I know you've, you think you've taken HLC2, right? No, I have actually not taken any of his Oh, courses. wow. Okay. I know I know him in such a random oh, That's wow. why I'm like, I got to get Paul on the show <laughs> to tell people this story because it's wow. crazy. But yeah, continue. Wow. I'm so fascinated by this. Um, so I remember when he was back teaching HLC2, um, it was amazing. We had people from all over the world like... I mean, Denmark, Sweden, all over the world came and it was like 40, 50 people at least. So a big, big class. And at the end, essentially during the lectures, um, we would take breaks and do Tai Chi, active meditation, working in. And on one of the meditations or active meditations of Tai Chi he was showing us, it was used what he called a Tai Chi ruler. And so we would do essentially Tai Chi movements with this wooden stick that's maybe about eight or so inches in length. And at the end of the course, at the end of the five days, you could essentially, he offered kind of like an invitation or like a, uh, a nice little challenge to us and said, if you commit to a hundred days of a gong practice, so a hundred days of consistent Tai Chi using the Tai Chi ruler, especially he would sign the, the Tai Chi ruler. So it was like an agreement with him. And so I remember at the very end, like there's a long, long line of people wanting to like thank him, give him a hug, sign, have him sign. And I was in line and I was like, man, I may never get this opportunity again to actually speak with him. And at that time, almost like two weeks before I had a competition and failed meeting my numbers again. And so I remember at that time, like being in the hotel room and just being totally just mental and emotionally just distraught and just wrecked. And I was like, I don't know where else to go or who else to turn to. And so I was like, man, if anyone can potentially help in two weeks, I want to bring it up to Paul. So I used that opportunity at the end to just bring up to him like with a line of people like, Paul, 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 I know you're super busy and I don't want to be one of those guys, uh, but 
is there anything you know about what's going on in, in my arm? And in a matter of like two minutes, I expressed to him what was happening or just at least the symptoms felt around. And then he's like, you know, he goes, it's one of two things. And he goes, I can't pinpoint for sure. And he goes, but I do think I can help you. You'd have to come down to San Diego. I'd have to work with you for a day and, and really look through your body and, and, and everything and see if I can identify it. And at that time, I had so many false promises from different practitioners. And it's like my goal and my dream as an athlete was to hit this ranking called Master of Sport, as I was talking about. And it's like I had put so much value in terms of what people said. Oh, yeah, I'll help you. Like great people, but Rolfing, oh, I can solve your problem. I can solve your problem. And I really relinquished a lot of my own decision-making and kind of left, left, I left it up to other people to decide for me the healing process. Now, Paul also said that in a slightly different way, but at the very end, he says, I'm still, even though I think I can help you, I can't promise you. And when he said that he was actually probably, I think the first person that didn't over promise. And I was like, fuck, if there's anyone that could potentially help me, it would be this guy. And so that's what started the journey to working with him for two and a half years where pretty much every month I would fly from NorCal to SoCal. We'd work training, strength and conditioning, as well as all the other aspects uh, within his system to kind of build a more balanced athlete. And uh, two and a half years rehabilitating myself, kind of got to the level uh, that I wanted to hit. And so now it's like, a lot of our teaching is the root and the foundation for a lot of the movement practice. Even though I use, as we were training today, a ton of different tools and modalities, that foundation of health and performance through that experience really started with him, I would say. Wow, what a story. That's amazing. Um, so, you, And then you ended up hitting your goals that you had be prior to Correct. Wow. That is awesome, and there, there's that that story is like it's so littered with mer- metaphors and parables for me. It's almost it was like watching the Wizard of Oz in a way. <laughs> there's so that brings up so much. Well, for one thing, that Paul, I love that Paul didn't guarantee an answer. We were just talking about this right before I pressed record. That this podcast is not here as much to give answers to anyone is to get them to ask questions about the questions I'm asking <laughs> that we're asking, and I, I don't think that truth would I don't think the truth truest of truths would just be handed to someone else from another man, but it's something that's more always moving, always dynamic, always in front of our face, always an option. But it's it's like a game of hide and seek of sorts, and I think questions make the journey more fun for me rather like curiosity rather than like conviction because I've known this is the, the a shorter way of putting that if I if I know there's something that I don't know and that's been proven to me over and over again so I believe I know there's something I don't know how do I know that if I by figuring that thing out that it won't dispel everything else I used to think I know so I feel like wisdom is uh, really embedded in the question and the magics and the paradox. and That's like the story of my life, bro. <laughs> I hear it. That's why. That's what I'm saying. You're telling the story. I'm like, this is amazing. I don't know how other people took the story. Literally, it's amazing, but metaphorically, it's really special. And I'm, I'm excited that Paul's a part of that. And one thing that I was thinking about is you're after peak performance. Do you know that Socrates quote about what, do you, do you know it by heart or something about the idea that 
what's more shameful than us being here in this in this body and not finding its capacities that's how i remember it so yeah i'm with you and um it seems like you are willing you're willing to figure out what your body can do and you're going for it and you're holding yourself accountable which led you to addressing potentially the weakest link of the chain a lot of people somehow trick themselves to not even addressing that so i think that's pretty important too that you were willing to address it and you were Seeking how how important do you think that is in life and in the physical body to address a uh, a potential symptom? I think, you know, I think one of the big problems that I found is I was chasing symptoms. So I think asking the question like you're saying, going deeper and remaining curious, and also never giving up was a huge part of it because like there was so many times that I wanted to say fuck this. Like I'm done. Like I'm so tired of a three month training cycle, a six month training cycle, getting close and failing. But I think, uh, I always knew that this, even though this was the symptom, this loss of feeling or this arm pump, it was actually a compartment syndrome in this arm. Um, that was the symptom, but there was so much more underneath that. So like, even from like an orthopedic standpoint, the compartment syndrome is what was being expressed. But the root cause of that was like seven different things that Paul was able to identify, even like what I was eating that was inflaming my gut and reflexing into my left shoulder and then impacting the circulation on that side. So I think... What were some of those things that you were eating that may have been causing that inflammation? And do you think that could cause anyone inflammation? Or yeah, what's your story around this? Potentially. So like one of the things that I was learning is, you know, every organ and gland reflexes into a specific muscle complex and so for example the liver reflexes it's on the same reflex loop as the right shoulder the stomach is on the same reflex loop as the left shoulder the female reproductive organs they reflex typically in the lower back which is why during that time of month a lot of females will say wow like my lower back is sore is because they the the organs don't necessarily express pain like a muscle for example or anything like that so they are on the same reflex loop and so Oftentimes, what might show up as a shoulder issue, and you might be able to address it just like a mechanic or just going over the the orthopedic side, could actually be an organ and glandular issue that's impacting that. And so what we would do is, from the gut side, is he's got a a tool called a a hand dynamometer, which is some fancy tool for, for grip measurement, like grip strength. And so one of the things I suffered from a lot of fungal and parasite issues before I worked with him that I had to do a lot of healing on, but still having had fungal and parasite issues for a lot of years, I was at a pretty kind of at a deficit going in. Like I've always had to have a sense, I always had a sensitive gut and had to be mindful what I was eating. And so I would drink coffee and we would test before and after and the coffee would irritate the stomach lining and we would test grip before, after, and we would do this almost on every visit in the beginning. And I would definitely notice an impact in that. And then it was also transferred a little bit into training as well. So that was, for me personally, the gut impact that we kind of identified anecdotally through the left shoulder. But I also had what's called thoracic outlet syndrome, which is a compression of the brachial plexus. So the kind of the triangle here underneath the uh, right around the clavicle where the nerves that feed through the arm and control the arm, I had a compression in there. And no one other than the Czech practitioner that really recommended I go see Paul was able to identify that. And then also had an anatomical short leg on my left side that was significant. So imagine like I've got like eight or so millimeters short on my left, which means like every step that I take or in competition, 
the event that I compete in is the clean and jerk. 10 minutes nonstop without setting kettlebells down. You can only rest here and you can only rest here. So imagine your feet are fixed. You're in the same pattern front to back over and over for 10 minutes and you've got one leg that's significantly short. So there was that, there was a huge imbalance between like the motor of my car and the kind of the nuts and bolts of my car, meaning the stabilizers of my body would get super shaky. So as I'd be lifting, I've got a pretty strong prime mover system, my legs, all the major muscles. But when it comes to stabilizing, as soon as I would get fatigue overhead, I would lose the control. And so those bigger muscles would try and do the job, job of stabilizing of those larger muscles or of those smaller ones, which they're not designed to do. Well, I love, yeah, this is what I'm excited about in this conversation, if you can't tell yet, um, but understanding what are, like, the language of our body. Mm. Um, words, words go so far. The Tao Te Ching, which I think, I don't, I'm imagining you're somewhat a fan of or familiar with, but the way I remember the first part of the book is, like, the best way to strip the power from something is to naming it. And you know, it's like the, we're, when we're speaking, it's like the menu, but the meal is right here in our body. And it comes in the form, like God speaks through feelings potentially. And um, I'm excited to explore like more about that, what you were even saying. Um, was there more about what was causing this reflexology in your arm? And what was it specifically? <laughs> uh, so there was also another thing. There was a big um, subluxation or a big just misalignment of the upper cervical vertebrae. So the very top, top part of my neck is called the atlas axis. So it's where like C1, C2 uh, join. And the interesting thing about that anatomy is there is no disc. So and it's also a different construction from all the other bones of the neck and of the spine. And one of the reasons is for that is because it allows for tremendous rotation. And so what's interesting is, is that part of the spine, the way it sits is a very, very high order control system for posture and pain. And you could think of it like this, like if, and I experienced this too, like in, in my experience. So I had also before Paul, a lot of like left knee pain and left tightness on the left side of my body, potentially very much caused by that short leg. But one of the things that I identified was that cervical vertebrae at the very top was misaligned. And because that's so important from a survival standpoint, that vertebrae, our vision, our chew, how we breathe, those are so much more important than just a muscle tightness. So if, for example, you've got pain behind the left knee, or it could be the hamstrings that one of the hamstrings that's influencing that could be the calves, whatever muscles cross the knee, maybe it is that you know, an issue there, some type of trigger point or whatever. But oftentimes where we're feeling the pain, and I'm sure you'll agree, stems from somewhere else in the body, unless it was a direct impact trauma. So if I fell down a flight of stairs and crashed my knee, okay, obviously like that was the cause of that. However, if I can't remember one specific incident or one specific time that something happened of significance, then maybe it's stemming for somewhere else. And so through Paul's system, he's got this hierarchy of control systems. And that is such a high order system that there's a specific form of chiropractic called upper cervical and different branches within that, where it's a totally different type of adjustment than you might normally think of. They use x-rays. Everything's very, very precise. And just getting that one vertebrae more aligned, like immediately within probably two-ish months, like completely took out the knee pain. And that was the only thing that was changed. So that was another factor that was involved as well. Wow, that uh, brings up something for me. My left knee, I think right here, I've noticed. Everyone, I think it's when I walk more. Hmm. And uh, what would you, what would you think about that right now in this moment? 
I wouldn't want to, I would just want to assess you and check it. <laughs> I wouldn't want to just come out of my ass and just say like, Oh, you got it. Like, no, and it's one thing I learned. It's like, you can't make any conclusion just by like looking at someone and it could be so many things that are connected that aren't even structural. You know, it could be something you're holding on to inside and it's uh, being carried by the knees. I don't know. All right. All right. So back to the specificity of the food or something you were consuming that was causing this specific reflex in your, do you remember what that was? Yeah. So it's called the compartment syndrome. And essentially around the muscle, there's a compartment of connective tissue called fascia. You could think of it like the, the sleeve of a, like, like a sock or like sausage casing. If inside the sausage is the meat is the muscle, the outside of casing is that connective tissue. And we have fascia over Myofascial means muscular fascia, so fascia that connects and around and surrounds the muscle tissue. But we also have fascia that lines our nerves, uh, that our cells, like everything, the fascia is the interconnected web that connects everything. And so essentially what was happening was due to all these kind of structural imbalances, large part, essentially the brunt of what was being taken was blood was, my left arm was overworking to a tremendous degree and the blood was not able to escape into the rest of the body because of that compression in the thoracic outlet, that misalignment of the head, the short leg, my stabilizer system not being active. And so this was the weakest link. And so I kind of had to start addressing all those little things over time, working on my gut and my diet. And then it really started mellowing out. And then of course, having just like sound training as well in the mix of that. And then at this point, what do you think uh, for yourself and others might be foods to, if someone's experiencing unnecessary inflammation in their body, just like the easiest ones to cut out or what to do with a diet? If someone's not going to go read a whole book or do a lot of studying themselves, what's something easy to leave them with? Yeah, that's a great question. Like I I remember when I was doing a ton of lab testing and it was great for me in that time because I needed that objective measurement because I don't think without those objective tests I would have fully fully believed but I spent a ton of money and a ton of time testing retesting testing retesting supplements and by no means do I feel like there's not a place for that but every single time that I did a food elimination diet and so I eliminated the classic foods that most people are going to be intolerant to was uh, gluten, honestly, all grains in general. Like I removed all grains for 30 days. Uh, dairy, I wasn't drinking alcohol anyway. Uh, removed sugar. Um, those are, And then legumes, I was preparing them, like soaking them and sprouting them or soaking them for at least 24 hours. But I never really did well on those. Those are the main foods that I completely eliminated for 30 days. And what was interesting is, is once I reintroduced foods, usually like once every three or so days, I'd introduce one specific food at a time. And I observed the same foods, not say most, I would say probably about 80 plus percent of the time, the foods that showed up on like, at that time, I don't know if there's more accurate ones now, but at that time, the most accurate food sensitivity panel I could access was called, I think it was like the MR, uh, MRT or something, food sensitivity panel showed up exactly the same. But the problem with the lab testing and the blood testing is that's truly only a snippet of where you are in this moment. Like things can change. Um, and so every time I did that food elimination diet, I learned a ton about myself, didn't have to spend any money. In fact, I saved money because I wasn't really going out to eat and stuff like that. And just from eliminating those foods, which aren't at all or much a part of my diet now, I really realized by introducing them, I had, I felt bloated. I had gas. I felt, and because I was bloated and I had gas, like I directly, for me, like my goal and my dream is to reach the highest level of performance I can, not only in the gym, but outside as well. And so for me, the gym is just, 
that's really where I found community. That's really where I found validation at a young age. So that's really where I saw and experienced objective progress. And so the gyms always felt like home for me, but I've always really wanted to carry and spill that out to the other areas of my life. Um, so once I identified those, it was not easy to cut them out, but it was an easy decision. It was an easy thing because it was, the awareness was so clear. It's like, dude, this stuff F's you up. Do you want to compete tomorrow? Do you want to train tomorrow? If you want to beat this guy, if you want to reach this, you have to do it. There's no way around it. So for me, the process might've been slightly hard. You know, it's, it's easier said than done, but it was just very clear in terms of the decision I need to make. So those were the foods that I cut out, dairy, grains, alcohol, sugar, uh, beans for a certain amount of time. Um, yeah. And those were the biggest significant ones. Like I was trying to pull out the biggest boulders and not get overly concerned with the minutia and really focusing on like, okay, blueberries or whatever, unless I was really sensitive to food, I was focusing on how can I knock out the biggest boulders to get the biggest return. Yeah, I can definitely relate to this. And I'm thinking about, I, I love this. I, I love an idea of prescribing ideas for the public to consider. And I'm procuring uh, something in my mind, like what could we suggest trying on? Because we, I think we both have had a similar situation in different paths. We've, because you cut out those specific foods where I experimented with like a raw vegan diet for a long period of time. And that didn't really allow much of any of those foods. Natural fruit sugars, of course, a lot of, but not the, what you mentioned, grains, alcohols, legumes, barely. Yeah, sometimes I get some raw peas and stuff. But <laughs> what that really did for me, I learned about when I started incorporating other foods than raw vegan foods, I learned a lot about how certain things affect me. And I, I learned real quickly a lot of cultural memes around like breakfast, like biscuits and gravy and uh, pancakes and all that stuff. Or, or yeah, like a big fat piece of pastry with, with who knows what in it. That's like a great thing to really put me into a sleepy, lethargic state. Like if I was aiming for lethargy, <laughs> that would be a great thing to do. And that's so funny that that's like the cultural way breakfast is portrayed. Well, what's your what's your background? Like did you – is like growing up, what was your family typically feeding you? Like what type of – That kind of – like commercial type of yeah. like Aunt Jemima's <laughs> stuff, cereal, cereal, yeah, yeah. cereals. I remember eating cereal and watching Power Rangers every day, drinking a lot of Coca-Cola, just completely – sold by marketers of what to eat. My, or I don't know if I was as much as my parents were, or my mom maybe. And, and then I just fell into the her love, like her way of loving me, of nurturing me. But the, man, the food industry is sometimes disturbing to look into. Um, so for the general public, what do you suggest? Like if someone wanted to try to figure out how what foods impact them, um, like maybe mimic your experiment in a way, how long are you suggesting people potentially cut out those? I would, and what are those one more time? How many, what would be the, how many numbers? Let's see if we can make a menu here. You know what? I would, I would preface that to say like, um, the framework potentially I think could work really well, but what foods you eliminate and stuff like that should be very, like, there's going to be all, I'll suggest kind of the general ones that, that seem to affect most people. But like, I have no idea what you should eat. Uh, I think it's going to depend on your own personal experience. So like, I'll give you what, what, what's worked for me and some of the people I've worked with, but 
If you do, like I would say, a minimum of three weeks, if you can do four weeks, even better. The longer the duration, the better to really allow the immune system and the, and the gut to really heal and really rest. Because, you know, especially if your digestion is just jacked. Like I was working with my grandfather who had the Alzheimer's for a time. And it broke my heart because like for him, he would be screaming in the bathroom because it was so painful to have a bowel movement. He wouldn't have, now that's kind of an extreme case, but he wouldn't have a bowel movement for three to five, six, seven days. So you can imagine if he ate, you know, in a, in a normal human being, or in a normal, I'm sorry, in a, in a healthy human being, more or less from mouth to anus, it takes about 72-ish hours for a food to enter and exit the system. But if you're someone like my grandfather, who's almost like developing toxic bowel where the toxins in the gut seep back into general circulation like he's not getting rid of that banana or whatever he ate on day one it's going to stay in for he probably won't even clear that on day seven so but the idea is the longer the better the more you can allow the immune system to rest you can allow the whole body to rest and four weeks is a solid pretty number to shoot for um, and then the foods that you eliminate, what I would recommend, at least what worked for me was eliminating, uh, all forms of dairy, ghee kind of being the exception, um, in terms of, so ghee is clarified butter. If, if I'm sure everyone who's listening in is familiar with your, uh, your, your, <laughs> it will, and yeah, you got it. You're, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. you got it good. So, um, uh, most dairy, most all dairy, if not all dairy, and then grains of all sorts are not just gluten containing grains. So that doesn't mean like, okay, like gluten-free bread or anything like that. So all forms of grains, uh, sugar, alcohol, uh, nuts and seeds, uh, legumes, those are going to be for me, like the, usually the biggest problem makers. But then outside of that, what I would also recommend doing is like, I've gotten so much value from, uh, logging food. And not only logging in a food diary, like logging bowel movements, sleep, um, kind of those kind of markers. And what I would recommend is for those people that are really, really willing, uh, write down all the foods that you eat for one week. Usually most people are going to be eating the same foods every day, so it's not going to be very many. And if you're open to it for that month, also eliminate at least the top at least the top two to three foods that you're eating every day. So if you're eating eggs every single day, remove eggs. If you're eating, I don't know, um, avocado right, which isn't a classic, is not a classic inflammatory food, remove that as well. And so if you're removing approximately up to your three most common foods, then let's see after one month, what happens when you reintroduce one food at a time, usually about every 72, a three to four days, introduce it, but just one food from kind of that family of foods. Because the goal and the idea is to have an objective measurement and means to see if that food's affecting you. And then the things you want to look for in terms of, is it affecting you? You want to pay attention to, okay, how's my bowel movement? Is it, uh, uh, is it super loose? Is it well-formed? What color is it? Does it smell funny? Uh, does it sink to the bottom? Does it float? Um, are there undigested food particles in it? So assessing your poop when you, especially throughout the first for the full month, for sure, but especially when you reintroduce that food. So checking your bowel movements, checking your mental clarity, uh, how on do you feel? How are your workouts going? Do you stabilize better or worse? So if you're an athlete, you know, what happens when you do a kettlebell snatch, for example, which is a high powered ballistic movement incorporates the whole body stabilization demand is high. So how on do you feel? And during that month, you know, if, if you're, if you're really tuning in and really trying to get the most out of it, like every day, ask yourself, how am I noticing? What's my mental clarity? What's my performance? Like, what's my bowel movements? Like, how am I sleeping? How am I interacting with others? How are the conversations going with my girlfriend, with my spouse, with my friends? Do I feel calmer? Do I feel more on edge? So really 
taking inventory in terms of what you're feeling when you're reintroducing those foods. And then if anything comes up that potentially is substantial, then mark that down. And so every three or four days, reintroduce the next family of foods and then use it as a, as a fun experiment. Like try not to attach too, too much to it, but it's, it's every single time that I've gone through it, I didn't spend any money. I learned a tremendous amount about myself. And then more than anything, I had an experience that I could really go back to. And it was an experience that no one had to tell me what to do. It's an experience that I discovered and learned on my own. And that was when I was saying this was the story of my life when we were talking earlier. You know, having I've, I've been fortunate enough to seek out really good coaches over the years in different sports I've been in and work with them quite co- closely. And one thing that I found is when I've always found a great coach, a lot of times I would l- relinquish my own personal power to them and just like listen and do everything to a T, everything to a T and kind of like just give up my sense of self. And uh, what I found was I definitely got results, but it only got me so far. And then I just felt kind of empty inside at the end. And so I kind of just uh, believed everything that I heard for better and for worse. I learned a lot, got some, you know, some good achievements in there. But uh, what I've really learned is, you know, it's great to have mentors, uh, but it's also great to listen to, you know, the best mentor, which is, which is yourself. And so this ex- little personal experiment, however, however far you want to go with it, can be an amazing practice that once again doesn't cost money and you yourself find out what's real and what's not no one has to tell you you don't have to read any book you don't have to pay for any lab test um and that's an incredibly empowering feeling wow what a formula for for someone to realize that uh, self-care is health care i love that Great health. I mean, the healthcare system, that's a whole other topic. I'm not sure how passionate you are or not about that. I'll, but I'll say real quickly, as long as hospitals and pharmacies are feeding like the majority of foods they feed their patients and the visitors is laced with all the a, a majority of those ingredients that you're asking everyone to stay away from, as long as that's still happening, I think there's a huge wake-up call. Like It's like, how do we address the elephant in the room of culture here with the radicalness or the unradicalness, just the the weirdness and not the wonderful way of the healthcare system. That's what I'll say about it right now. Yeah. And, and that's family culture. So like hearing you say that, like one of the things that brings up for me is like family culture as well. And so like my family is uh, both my mom and dad are from Sicily. Uh, both my grandparents on both sides are from Sicily, don't speak English. And uh, I grew up with my, I mean, I grew up obviously with my parents, but we lived with my grandparents. And because my parents were working so much, uh, I was pretty much at a young age raised by my grandfather. So it was super close. Now, I was really fortunate because he grew a lot of his own food in the garden. But we had pasta like two to three times. No, at least like lunch was pasta almost all the time. (laughs) Dinner was pasta. And that was, you know, that community aspect, that cultural aspect. I remember when I stopped eating pasta. Um that was a big shift. And like, I was always, you know, at a young age in my family and even in just amongst friends, like I've always been kind of like uh, the black sheep because like I always kind of did a breaking normal. That's right, brother. That's not, <laughs> as soon as I would identify a trend or a pack, I'd be like, fuck that. I'm going this way. That's great advice. That's typically my advice is um, <laughs> if I find myself in a situation and the why this has been proven to me time in and time out again, I'll give one example. It was in, uh, Emerald Cove in Lake Tahoe. Have you ever been there by mm-hmm. chance? There's just like a, a river to cross. It's this epic national park, and everyone's just on the edge of the river. 
And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, <laughs> why? And I'm like, oh, no one wants to get in the water. I'm like, I want to get in the water. Of course, I'm here to get in the water. So I swam over there and I'm like, whoa. And then I have this whole thing that no one else is even seeing to like basically to myself. And I really realized at that moment how important it is for me to study what most people are doing so I can do it differently <laughs> and, re- and, re- and obtain the reward of that. So I hear you. Love that. I hear you on that. Love that. And, um, but yeah, this is, um, I trust that people will try this out and maybe myself even, um, yeah, that's a, it's a great challenge. I did it. I've done it in a way I've done it in a way, but not so calculated. So that's a, that's a fun experiment. If anyone does this, definitely let us know. I want to hear about it. I'd love to hear about your, uh, the review on this podcast and iTunes, especially that's definitely reverent to the gods of the internet. Um, what about what? I, real quickly, I would like to talk about what do you what do you include in that month? Then, like, what are your go tos? What are the best meals? I know you said you're not going to tell anyone how to eat, but for yourself, <laughs> yeah. What is the best for you during that, especially during that kind of experiment? You know what was so cool, brother, was um, so I, this this year, to be honest, is really the first year that I've taken a break from competing, more or less, since I was like eight years old, nine years old. So in different sports, whether I was sharing with you earlier, like gymnastics, powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, kettlebell sport, I've always been competing. And this year I'm really trying to focus more professionally and put my time into teaching and sharing um, that I've taken a break. But up until this time, like almost every three-ish months, maybe the exception being uh, when I was working through those fungal and parasite issues. And when I first started working with Paul, we took some dedicated time off of competing but I'm always really trying to maximize what is my most like ideal pre-workout meal or pre-competition meal. And through this process where I'm kind of going with this is through this process, it forced me to have a lot more variety in my diet, a lot more, like tremendously more. Like if you think about like I was, man, I was eating still, still pretty varied, but I was eating mostly good quality, but grass fed, grass finished beef, chicken almost every other day kale every meal. So quote unquote healthy foods, but there was no rotation in there. And, uh, almonds, um, what else was classic? Bananas was really, uh, classic for me. But essentially what I found through having more variety is I was searching in the supermarket, in the butcher shop for foods. Like I would actually go, and this is something I'd recommend, go to the butcher shop, go to the supermarket, go to wherever you're finding your food and identify the foods that look the strangest and or you would never buy and pick those things up. Learn a recipe about them because more often than not, especially if you're shopping at the farmer's market, they're going to be amazing. You just may need to learn how to cook it or prepare it. And what that led me to was I found I was never really eating organ meats at the time, was not ever really eating kind of more game meats. Goat, for me, as simple as that sounds, goat was a food I would never would have touched. And because of this, I tried it. That has been my personal go-to meal before competition for now, like the last maybe two, two-ish years because of that. Like I feel, and organ meat as well, like grass-fed, grass-finished beef liver, not very much, but a little bit. I don't take very many supplements at all, but I will say like even with supplements, I've never really, really felt like, oh wow, like this really, like this is, this is more like, I feel like mine stuff. Uh, some supplements for sure, but uh, I will say that I fucking feel like Superman on grass-fed, grass-finished liver. Like it's so, it, whether it's because I'm deficient in a lot of the, the dense nutrition in there or what, when I take that, it's like, let's go, let's go. And so that and goat, 
uh, were two things that I would like never would have had that I was like, these are my game time foods. Like these things are amazing. I feel good. Um, so I was eating more goat, more organ meats. Uh, I was eating more root vegetables. So I was having yucca for the first time. Um, I was also having uh, sunchokes for the first time. Um, different forms of beets. Like I didn't even know that there were so many different varieties of foods as well. Um, so those are just some of the few that, that come up for me. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you're, I'm getting passionate about all the <laughs> diet exploration I've done. Like raw vegan diet, I loved, the, I loved it because what that did, it can, it made me focus on fruits. And then I realized in order to survive on this diet, I better be eating the most seasonal fruits. <laughs> the way I look at fruits, like fruit, just like a flower and just like a human, just like everything in a way, there's a peaking moment. And when it's budding, it's like the flower opens. And fruits have those moments. And I learned how to get those wow. fruits, a variety of fruits all around the world for that. And, and then I, uh, so then when I got done with the, no, I had, my, I was not getting morning wood anymore. And I, and I think it was partly because of lack of animal cholesterol. So then I went on like this, bear, I called it the bear diet. <laughs> and that was fish, fruit, and free so if someone provided something for me, <laughs> because actually when I was in Jamaica, they were not, they were, I went to on a raw vegan diet and the, we got taken into the mountains because these, uh, we were going to Kingston just to go, like we were going to Jamaica just to go there and eat fruit and have fun and film <laughs> Rob Ross videos. And this lady was like, you're going to Kingston without a plan? And you don't know where you're staying? She's like, no, 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 no. That's the most dangerous city in the Caribbean. She couldn't <laughs> let us go. And she is she's like, well, well, where are you going? And, and she described like the small town. Da, da, da. And I'm like, and then she started describing the fruits. And it turns out like this place is a fruit heaven. <laughs> like the mama, like the, the mom, the village mama actually got someone to chop down the jackfruit tree just because of the noise of all the jackfruits falling. It was like this abundant in this spice grove, Mondeville, Jamaica, man. Wow. And we were there. And they offered they had offered us goat stew, and we weren't eating any of it. Like we just we and they they all thought it was cool. Like Rasta, like Rasta, these guys are just like birds. They just eat the f fruit that falls from the trees, like Rasta. And we, they even gave us ganja, and we would only eat it raw. <laughs> no way. And uh, what it reminded me, and that, that that's why the free element was so big for me. I was like, this. I um, looking back, I thought that doing it again or next time I go, I'll definitely be eating the goat stew. <laughs> And what I'll say about that as well is, yeah, why I, I went hunting last year for the first time. Have you hunted at all? Uh, no, I've not yet. Now that I really, yeah, I that really learned, want to do that. I learned a lot um, experiencing in my own hands of what the way what you're talking about, like uh, with the even the the fascia of the or like of the body of the deer and the pig and and those meats. Yeah, it is a totally different. I'm a totally different man after eating that deer. <laughs> Um, than even eating uh, beef from the grocery store. It's just like a, there. I've, I've found foods that I have to be careful about when I eat them. Mm. It's very almost medicinal, and uh, so I am so excited here. And the goat, I can the goats. I feel like are so te like the male goats are almost gross for me to be around because <laughs> they're just so oozing with testosterone. <laughs> So I think there might be something, and goats are crazy animals. I can I resonate with the goat. I love how chill goats are on the most like um, precarious of places. Just, of the mountain goats, that yeah. Are just like I'm like you, one footstep wrong, it seems like it would fall down the mountain, but it's just like chilling, and I seem relaxed. Oh man, um, I'm trying. Uh, any foods? Yeah, that's uh, I. I trust people are really going to take their consumption more sincerely after this and it's funny synchronously enough i made a post about how the 
grocery store is arguably the most dangerous place most people walk into in the developed world, especially if they're uninformed about a lot of the subjects that we're talking about. They just drift into like the advertising. Mm. And um, I'm happy to bring more light to this subject for sure. I was even thinking about starting to offer some sort of shopping excursion because the crazy part about it is if people are not growing their own food and hunting and fishing and getting their own food from the roots of it, the grocery store is very crazy and manipulative mm. and it's meant to be that way and it's always changing. So I'm not sure how big of a marketplace there are for like grocery coaches or like shopping coaches and then like kit makeover kitchens and then figuring out diet. I was having this like energy about that today. I was like, maybe I'm supposed to do that with someone in Austin and with Deanna because Deanna is a master at that as well. Oh, wow. And it sounds as you are as well. Do you, what do you, you were saying you want to offer more teaching and coaching. What's your... What does that look like for you this year if you're remembering the future? Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's it's been my dream for a long time to to reach and touch as many people as possible. One, because, like, you know, I've been a coach for well over 15 years. But to be honest, only until two years ago have I been doing this really full time. Because for the eight years before that, I was in a family business in a completely different industry to support my family. And that was really, really tough. Nothing wrong with that job or that work, but it was what I was not meant here to do. And so for right now, since I transitioned out of that, um, my goal is to touch as many people as possible and take every single opportunity I can. And that's why I started going into the route of more like I developed, took me about a year to recently develop my first online program on kettlebell training, but it's so, so much more than just kettlebell training. Everything that we talked about or most everything we talked about about Paul uh, is filtered into that system. So it's truly how my perspective through Paul and through the different coaches I've had to develop a more balanced athlete. So for example, Paul was kind enough to do like eight mini lectures on working in because it's important to me. And that was a big part of my own healing process is learning how do we balance working out with working in and more restorative activities. Um, in that program, there's also like a bunch of like personal assessments that you don't need a coach for. You can do it yourself to before you even pick up a kettlebell you can have an idea and pre-qualify yourself if you're ready for that movement because that's not something that I had and that's one reason why I got injured over the years multiple times. So the online medium is is definitely the route that I'm going to go. Also, uh, I travel quite extensively teaching certifications and workshops and all sorts of things like functional training. Today we did some Eldoas and such, so I usually uh, add Eldoas almost at the end of every workshop, which is a form of um, kind of like a, a specific decompression. You could call it a decompression type active stretching routine. Um, and then lastly, the last thing, so online programs, uh, teaching to more groups around the world, and then also doing more focused healing work with people, whether it's athletes or let's say just people who really want to be high performers in their life, not just athletes, whether it's for one to three days where they come out and we do breath work, sauna work, cold plunges, um, there might be, you know, I don't, I don't serve any plant medicines, but that might be you know, a part of, of something where we might do some, some experience like that, some training, some Eldoas. So whatever that person needs to bring healing to a deeper level and help them elevate their own vitality and well-being, uh, we'll explore that or I'll connect them with someone that can help them uh, do that as well. Yeah, I'm so happy you said that at the end as well because that's something I've recently been offering in between the tr – because we have the – a lot of times I'm immersed in the events, but then after the event, I'm in a new place and space like Hawaii. I did this in Hawaii last time. And this guy from the yoga couple interviewed me for a podcast. And then I 
I realized he afterwards there was this match for him to have an immersion experience around some of my gifts, and we procured this day together. And man, and I and now it's been repeated in other different ways. So these immersion experiences, and I imagine one with you would be extremely powerful. And that is something I'm offering as well. I guess I haven't really been talking about it. It's usually it's usually someone that I'm like, oh, we gotta work, we gotta work this out because. There's, I can, we can support your genius real quickly. Like a day or two might make a huge difference for something you to carry forward with you. And I, uh, mine, my specialty is usually a mental perspective. Um, and I love what your specialty is too. And uh, how do people, if they wanted to contact you about that and or finding out about the, your online training, where do they go? Yeah, yeah. So actually it's funny because like I don't think I've really ever even talked about that portion of my business on a podcast because it's usually not even something kind of like you that I'll market. It's like if I'm teaching and really gravitate towards someone or they want to go deeper. Um, so they can just contact me via email, which is mike at mikesalemi.io. Uh, and then my website is mikesalemi.io. Um, and then uh, Instagram is at mike.salemi. So any form of communication there is is, is great. Uh, the one-on-one -on -one stuff is not advertised anywhere, uh, but you'll see my online programs and then the uh, workshops and certs that I teach. But if you are interested in exploring that, we can certainly talk and would love to, to go and do it. Awesome. And on that note, I'm not sure what you're doing June 13th through the 16th. But that's where our next Tribe Design 12 is. Okay. And we usually, so there's like four modalities for Tribe Design. And this is where JP did his first comedy show and met Amber oh, wow. at another one and then proposed to her at another one. There's, there's like, I could go on and on about all these different stories around this event. But sometimes talking about, it, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's usually very amazing and very launching. That's what it's very launching for people. And it's all about the, um, the idea of designing the strongest tribe as fast as possible. So rather than having like this conference where there's, chosen speakers like there's no stage most of the work is done in like a tribal circle formation or breaking off to groups or going out in nature and um and then we'll have sometimes special facilitation so like jp's comedy show i was like yeah he and we didn't know what really was going to happen but i was like oh if you're incorporating the crowd and telling these like these people need to hear this bullshit like everything is spiritual come on let's do it let's make it funny and he he did that there's been dustin yeah, anyways there's been a lot of people and the four modalities are music, movement, mystery, and mimetics. That's one way we've been marketing it. So we usually invite a um, an influencer that also runs events that we could exchange tickets to with one day for their event, for our event. So do you know Rafe Kelly by any chance? Okay, he's amazing. Uh, we did that with him. He went, went to his event. He came to ours. And if that feels aligned with you, and if that's something that you're available for, our next one is in Colorado, June 13th to the 16th. And it was just everything you just get there, everything will be taken care of. And then maybe we'll have a ticket to one of your events. Dude, and that sounds awesome. If you're available and if you're listening and you want to join this freaking event, I'm not sure if that's a yes from you or not. We can talk more details yeah. about that later. But the event's happening. Um, and amazing people have already signed up. The first people that signed up are our family, actually. And it's um, concluding the celebration will be like con concluding the celebration of the Trevor Hall Knocko Bear Show and some other artists oh, at wow. Red Rocks Amphitheater. So that's an invitation. Anyone's listening, if you want to apply for that event, get it while before we secure our next location because we still have better pricing until that happens. And we're looking at a an awesome place in Breckenridge right now. That's internationaltribedesign.com. Maybe we'll see Mike there. I'd love to learn more about the movement. I got that great workout in right before this. Definitely, it, I told you it felt sort of like a, a hybrid of yoga, 
um, physical therapy, and um, what was the other one I said before? I said yoga, physical therapy, and there was a oh man, was it sometime? Maybe it's mystery. But anyways, it was a lot <laughs> of uh, things that a, a lot of modalities felt like incorporated into one quick session. That was a very healthy dose, like not overdoing anything, but very activating too something that was supposed to be activated for me so thank you yeah for sure brother thank you for for going through it with me and thank you for being a black sheep breaking normal (laughs) what is dot io why dot io what does that mean (laughs) so my name was taken.com and then i was working with uh, a web designer and he was just like dude you need to go dot io that's that's what uh no one's using or that's like what techies are using and that's where it's going i was like all right let's go sound sounds dope it's definitely breaking normal too i'm like dot io i've never heard of i don't know if i know a dot io (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I guess to be continued at the Paleo FX conference, if, depending on when we upload this, if you're in Austin, say hi. If you want one of those immersion experiences in Austin or Colorado, and where's your base? So I'm in, I'm in uh, the Bay Area, so Northern California, the Bay Area, but I'm all like, yeah, I'm, I'm traveling. You're willing to travel, it yeah. seems like. That makes the immersions awesome as well because some people, like, who knows, someone in Hawaii or Fiji or British Columbia or Switzerland might hear this and be like, why don't, can you come out here and do this for like five days? And sometimes, sometimes focusing on one, one person can change everything. So I love doing like group work, but sometimes I really love doing the one-on work as well. Both are awesome. Thanks for doing some one-on-one work slash play with me today. Yeah. And thank you for having me. Keep breaking normal, y'all. Peace. This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Wow, so you're telling me potentially the most expensive pill on the market isn't worth shit. That was what I kind of... That actually is uh, worth less than shit. Is that the truth is that shit is worth a whole lot more because that is really is the act essence of microbiome right so i think one day we're going to realize that you know healthy people's poop is really worth more than any drug out there in the marketplace because now you don't have to take my word for it by the way anybody who's listening to it they can google any of the chronic diseases so you can google depression and microbiome alzheimer and microbiome the parkinson's and microbiome and in fact all of these cancers how not only that your gut microbiome influences the cancer how even the cure for cancer whether it works or does not work the chemotherapy or immunotherapy depends on your gut because when you take a drug guess what happens it goes to your gut and they they metabolize them and if they can detoxify it has no effect on you or it can amplify and it can actually turn into a poison right so it's literally what happens these organisms what they do to the drug has a lot of influence so you're from different types of heart diseases to cancer to alzheimer obesity diabetes you don't wake up one morning and say honey i think i might have caught diabetes right it is something you develop over a long period of time when you constantly are assaulting your body